Welcome back into Mining Stock Daily. This is Trevor Hall in Satter, Sweden, now sitting, well, standing here with Garrett Ainsworth, who's the CEO of District Metals. District trades on the TSX Venture with DMX. And uh, Garrett, we just got off the site from Tom Tebow. A lot of excitement, a lot of energy behind you and the company right now. Uh, you just launched your phase two drilling. Uh, we saw the drill on site, getting that first hole ready to go. Should be drilling right now as we speak. You know, talk about getting this phase two going and really how is this uh, continuing to progress, Tom, to you after the phase one? Well, yeah, I mean, this phase two drill program is really uh, the culmination of uh, a bunch of work that we've been doing since June uh, of 2020. Um, you know, so all the airborne geophysics, the groundwork prospecting, geochemical sampling, um, ground, ground gravity, uh, you know, the phase one drill program that we started in March of, of 2021 and completed in June. Um, that really got our bearing of the mineral system at Tom Tebow, which, uh, you know, all putting that together has led us to the phase two program where, you know, we've, we're going to be stepping out from some really good drill intercepts from phase one, but also doing some very bold, uh, you know, regional targets based on multiple coincident geophysical anomalies and some of the work that Rodney Allen has done with the whole rock geochemistry, which has revealed an 800 meter um, you know, strike of uh, VMS horizon potential that's never been previously tested. So, yeah, it's really exciting to be cracking this with two drill rigs, 5,000 meters, and about uh, somewhere around 12 to 14 drill holes. Yeah, and so this first drill is literally, the first hole is about a kilometer from the old Tom, Tom Tebow mine. Uh, so that is a big step out, uh, you know, that could potentially show some massive scale. Uh, but this area to the northwest, you spent some good time this morning presenting to us, and, and Rodney also gave us his thoughts and ideas of what uh, could, could potentially they'd like to see just because it hasn't been tested. You know, that tell me, that hole is coming up here in the next couple of weeks. Can, can you remind me of what number hole that is? Because I want people listening to this to kind of like mark it down so they can pay attention. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So um, when the second drill rig comes in about a week, we're going to be drilling down dip uh, about 50 meters of hole one and from our phase one drill program. And that was 8.2 meters of, you know, 21% zinc equivalent or 800 grams per ton silver uh, equivalent. You can look at it a bunch of different ways. Um, you know, that, that, uh, hole we're looking at right now, the drill core, it's, it's a whopper. So we're going to do a step out below that. And then we actually have a second step out below that, that is targeting, um, you know, the strongest and largest downhole EM plate, um, that we have from our phase one drilling. So that is a really great way to start, you know, with around the mine type, uh, targets, but also, yeah, doing these, these very bold step outs a kilometer away from, uh, the historic Tom Peeble mine. Yeah. Uh, when we were on site, I was just astounded with, uh, walking on the ground and I, and the area is just spoiled with mineralization at surface. You can literally pick up as many rocks as you want to bust it open with the hammer and see the strong mineralized rock everywhere um but the story is underground you, you know like it's but like this like, i think that is that's pretty um i think people are really surprised when they realize just how much of this was at surface uh does it continue to surprise you and like what is you know or did 
did you know you were onto something good when you first stepped foot on this project? I absolutely did. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I came to the project in uh, February 2020 after having looked for, you know, a good project for District Metals. And it, I was kind of jaw dropping, um, just my impression of seeing how much mineralization there was and, and, you know, cracking rocks, seeing, okay, well, this is the feeder zone. And then, you know, going up another 600 meters to the north and being like, okay, well, this is more like distal mineralization. It looks like it's an intact VMS system. Um, and then, you know, taking a hard look at the historical data showing, um, you know, not much drilling, uh, like maybe three holes have gone below the 200 meter level, which is very, very rare to come across, you know, uh, a historic area that hasn't been drilled deeper than that. So um, that's, that's really been our focus is, is following up on the historical drilling. But now we have our own drilling and our own uh you know, whole rock geochem and, and downhole EM to really help guide us in this next phase of drilling. Um, I got to want to ask you kind of about the markets, the share price. It's been under pressure. It's the same story with almost every junior, um, you know, but this is an interesting time to have a kind of suppressed share price, but there's so much momentum behind district now that the phase two is going, you know, Give us your idea of what that value proposition is. If you are looking, if you don't have a position in the district, or maybe you do, like why is now a good time to like really give it some more consideration of either adding or starting? Yeah, so the I mean the share price is absolutely no reflection of anything that's been going on with district because we you know we when we first started out we communicated our path forward and we have followed it absolutely to a T. Um, you know, even the drill results that we put out from the phase one drilling was, uh, was very good. We did it in a series of four different news releases and we're marching along the path to fully understanding the system, which we feel like we have a much better hold on. Um, so it, it, from my standpoint, technically we couldn't be in a better position going into this phase two drill program, um, you know, to build tonnage and then at the same time have really good potential at making a grassroots discovery. Uh, you've got about $4 million in the bank, gets you beyond phase two, but what's best case scenario for the company concluding phase two? What, what is success and what can you do with that, with the markets and going back and potentially raising a larger amount to continue to progress? Yeah, best case scenario is making, you know, discovery at, say, the Northeast uh, gravity target. And, I mean, that would change the whole shape of the drill program. We would probably have two rigs up there if it turned into something significant. Um, but, I mean, even if, if it doesn't pan out that way, if we're building uh, and uh, seeing good con uh, continuity between mineralized drill holes around the historic Tom Tebow mine, that is a, uh, a huge success in its own right. Uh, obviously endowed with really great zinc, lead, silver, we, uh, s sparkles of gold here or there. But I want to ask you about the copper because historically they were going after the copper. But do you have reason or what are you seeing to think that there's a good amount? Is there a good amount of copper that potentially is left over? Or do you just not know until you get the results back? Well, based on our drilling, uh, I mean, especially holes like 13 that we did and hole 16 and 17, the, the drill intercepts of copper are very, very significant. 
But something to keep in mind is that, you know, these copper gold feeder zones, they are a lower tonnage target in comparison to the to the uh, the silver, zinc, lead. At Garpenberg, uh, they, they do have these copper feeder zones, but they're not even going after them because they, they already have so many reserves and resources that are that are the silver zinc lead that that's their main the main kind of focus so i mean obviously we're going to go after with whatever whatever we're seeing um that's looking the best because then you also look at falloon which is 25 kilometers to the northwest and that was you know 28 million tons of three percent copper and three grams per ton gold so that was a bit of a freak of nature and that it was a massive feeder zone uh, talk about your relationship with Belieden. I know you have conversations with them. Uh, you can't go into too much in intricate detail about what those conversations are about, but it seems like they're certainly paying attention to what you're doing. Yeah, well, I mean, my experience in, in a lot of uh, jur like jurisdictions is that the uh, the mining people are very uh, they're tight circles, and you know it's no different in Sweden. Um, you know, of course, we've had some great introductory conversations with Belieden uh, and Lundin because we're, we're in the neighborhood. So just, you know, friendly, hey, how's it going? And, and uh, you know, talking about what they're up to and telling, telling them what, what we're up to. So this really is their backyard. Uh, Belieden's uh, Bergslagen is what Cameco's Athabasca is. That's a good analogy. Coming from a uranium guy. Yeah, yeah, I love to throw those out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks again so much for your time. But before I let you go, you know, the phase two is going. Uh, obviously, we await results in the coming months. But, uh, you know, what do you, you know, people watching DMX, what, what do you want them, what do you want to leave them with before I leave you in Sweden? Um, I, I think... Uh, I mean, just just keep a close eye on uh, on the news that we have coming out the next little while, and it's it's not just about Tom Tebow anymore, um, because we've made uh, two property acquisitions that uh, Groove Groove Barriot and uh, Savarjo, which again are advanced stage exploration plays, um, just like Tom Tebow, and we're going to follow the exact same game plan because it's worked at Tom Tebow. Um, so, you know, we're going to do the airborne surveys, we're going to hit it in the ground, we're going to do probably ground gravity. And uh, so those two new acquisitions actually have walk-up drill targets, which initially Tom Tebow did not really have. So it's, uh, I mean, we're a three-project company now, and that was the game plan all along, was to build a portfolio. We love the jurisdiction because it's, uh, Bergslangen is where you come to find the elephant-sized polymetallic deposits. Thanks, Garrett. Appreciate your time. It's nice to actually be on the ground here. I mean, I'm a shareholder. I've been looking forward to seeing uh, seeing the site, getting on the ground. But I, I, just from personal, I, I was completely blown away with just how much beautiful rock was just at surface. Oh, great, Trevor. Yeah, I'm really happy to hear that because that, that was my feeling as well. I mean, when uh, Eric Jensen from EMX toured me around, I was... Uh, I was in heaven as a geologist seeing that much uh, sulfide lying around and then also seeing it connected to the historical drill results below. It, it, it was a no-brainer for us. That's uh, Garrett Ainsworth, CEO of District Metals again, trading on the TSX venture with DMX. Garrett, thanks so much. Have a wonderful evening. Have a good one. Thanks, Trevor.
Uh, welcome into Mining Stock Daily. Still here in Sweden for site visits. Uh, yesterday was a visit with Norden Crown. Today we took steps on the Tom Tebow project, which is being explored by District Metals. Uh, happy to be finally joined by somebody I've been wanting to interview for quite a few days now. Uh, I've been hard to pin down because he's been answering a lot of questions, and uh, he really is uh, one of the bright minds out of the Bergeslagen district here in Sweden. He's a technical technical advisor for both of these companies, Mr. Rodney Allen. Rodney, welcome uh, welcome to the podcast. Yep, thanks. My pleasure. Uh, you, you have an extensive background here in the Bergeslagen. Now, I, we could spend hours just talking about the experience, but we do need to provide some context. I would like to start kind of with your history with uh, Beliden and the Garpenberg mine and really how you were you're kind of known to be instrumental for getting that mine new life in the 90s by making some new discoveries. Can you kind of walk us where Garpen, Garpenberg mine was in the 90s, how it kind of got rejuvenated, and, and what the value was unlocked there? Sure. When, when I first came to Sweden, um, I was looking for work, looking for projects. I got together with a few people I'd met the year before from the Swedish Geological Survey, and we made a plan to try and set up a sort of an applied research project and attract mining companies to join it and fund it. And our idea was to, because I had experience in um, mineralized volcanic rocks, so I had expertise in interpreting ancient volcanic terrains that um, wasn't in Sweden in those days. So these guys were keen to get me involved in their project. And so I ran a, I ran a course on uh, mineralization in volcanic rocks in Sweden and invited a couple of people from each of the major mining companies and the geological survey people. And Bulliden was one of the companies, well the company that was most interested, most keen in what I was doing and what, what I had to offer. And they said, oh we really want to make a project with you. And, and um, so we, we, in a bigger program in Sweden funded by uh, Sweden's industry funding organization, we together with Bulliden um, set up a project to work in Bergslagen and the Schlefter district actually. And that was just opening the door for me. It was great times because Bulliden then had probably uh, around 20 experienced geologists that have been working for the company all their lives. They, so they had these 20 guys had and, and uh, women had um, 20, 30, 40 years experience in their districts. And I, I came in new and was immediately able to work with all these people and get up to speed really quick in... Um, suck in their knowledge and turn it around in my head and mix it with my experience so that was a fantastic project and right that was in 1990 I started looking for work here and it took us a bit of time to get the project up and running but I think we got the project started in 91 92 and one of the areas I started working on was Garpenberg um, we, we were working on about 10 different areas in Bergslagen um, and Gartenberg was a big attraction because it's a, uh, a major ore deposit and it was interesting and Bull Eden is the operator and they were keen to learn more about the area. So I worked to, uh, three, three field seasons. I worked there with um, the chief mine geologist. He was actually the only geologist there when I started, so very understaffed. And he was looking keen to have any help he could get. So um, we started doing traverses in the field, looking at the rocks, um, and I was re reinterpreting the rocks 
in a more volcanological sort of way, which was my experience people hadn't done before. And it was really those traverses that I started to see there was information in these rocks that people hadn't extracted before that I had seen in some of the other areas I've been working in, in Australia and Japan. And one of the fundamental things was there's big, there was lots of big volcanic eruptions in this province. And the main style of eruption is one that is very, erupts very high volumes of pumice. And when this pumice is deposited in the sea and eventually gets more and more pumice and other rocks um, laid down on top, it gets compressed and it forms a um, sort of ribbon-like flattened pumice texture that you can actually map as the orientation of layering in the rock. And if you map that routinely, it, it actually maps out the geometry of folds um, that are formed in the rocks during deformation. And it allowed me to see in more detail the geometry of the rocks around the ore. And I realized that instead of just being a fairly simple fold, which was thought earlier, the fold was much more complex and there were areas within this major fold where the prospective ore horizon should probably be coming up to quite high levels that could be drilled from surface uh, or in, from the mines within this fold structure. And previously that had never been drilled because it was regarded as unprospective hanging wall rocks above the ore. But my interpretation would mean that these prospective rocks would come up within that zone that had never been drilled. And that was that was the first part of the story. And then in 1994, Bull Eden invited me and an experienced Canadian consultant and a, and a couple other ex-Bull Eden people to a meeting. And it, it became obvious that the meeting was generated by Bull Eden because they were struggling with Gothenburg. It was some years it was making money, some years it was making a loss. And they so they were spending money on this mine that wasn't really returning much in over over in the long term. And they were seriously considering should we close the mine and put our money in another project which is going to generate um, better results. And so we had this meeting for a week um, to discuss they wanted confirmation of whether we thought there was potential there that they should uh, address or whether we thought there was not much potential on it. Okay, you can walk away from this and not worry too much about getting out of it. And as it turned out, um, both uh, with Paul Severin from Canada and myself, we were the two people that were most optimistic, probably because the other uh, people involved had already tried their ideas on the area and and um, yeah, so it was, it's good to have new people in with new ideas that were perhaps a bit more positive. So we, we found several areas of potential. I think we had seven, eight, nine areas we thought the company should investigate before deciding to get out. And to their credit, uh, Bull Eden, uh, the mine manager there, was really, really keen to, for the mine to continue. So um, they said, OK, well, we... Um, we think we should test these areas of potential before we continue with any, any consideration to close the mine. And what they did was they brought down one of their best senior geologists from the Schlefter district and gave him the task of um, reviewing the geology and exploration potential of that Gartenberg area and as part of that testing these ideas we had generated. 
And so he did groundwork for a year or two, a couple of years. And these um, mid-90s was a really tough time for the Bull Eden Company. Their share value was way down. They were struggling. They didn't have money, much money to spend on exploration. Um, it wasn't a good time in the global mining industry. So with a very small exploration budget, this work was carried out that um, um, basically uh, the, in three, four drill holes, um, Bulleden discovered three new ore lenses and one of them turned out to be really, really big. And one of the targets they were testing was this target that I suggested that uh, the ore zone could come up within this major fold structure. So they worked out that the best part to the best area to test this first was to go deep into the Gartenberg North Mine and um, drill past the ore position, continue out into the barren hanging wall rocks and uh, see if there was potential for the ore zone to come up into those uh, rocks again that hadn't previously been drilled. And, I guess um, partly the drill holes were sited really well, partly there's a bit of luck involved, but that first drill hole um, intersected mineralization of ore grade um, in a position where there wasn't known to be ore. And also when they ran the downhole EM geophysics in the hole, could see another conductor off um, to the south, off the um, end part of this drill hole. And so immediately knew that oh, we should plan another hole to intersect that conductor and see what it is. But the budget was so low that hole couldn't be drilled immediately and the drift needed to be extended so it could be drilled effectively. So that wasn't drilled till some months or a year later. But that hole went right through a really, really good mineralization and uh, became one of the new ore bodies. And then there were step out holes into um, more off off-hole geophysical anomalies that uh, intersected uh, another ore body. So, I mean, I mean, these new discoveries not only gave Garpenberg new life, but also improved the project financially, yes. better economics. Ab absolutely. Oh, it was a big lesson for all of us that um, the mindset, and I think it's normal, it's nothing uh, against Bull Eden, the mindset is quite often that if you've been working in a mining area for a long time, if you, everyone expects that if you're going to find something new, it's going to be similar to what you have. Mm -hmm. And the average ore grade at Garpenberg North, which was the big mine there previously, is moderate. Uh, it's not um, bonanza uh, material. Um, the best parts of it generate lots of money and the other parts, they don't. And the major all, new ore lens, Luff Berriot, that was discovered, it's I guess it's 70, 80 million tons in size, is actually significantly higher grade and much higher silver. Um, so the ore value is considerably more and it's also in a geometry that can be bulk mined, which the older lenses couldn't be. They were more cut and fill, uh, some smaller scale mining. So they had the advantage of they could mine on a bigger scale more effectively and also higher grade. So it actually turned the mine down from near closure to ultimately being one of the most uh, cost-effective and best zinc mines in the world. So. I, I know there's a lot of misconceptions about Sweden and the, the comparison is always to Garpenberg and you know it seems like an exploration and 
I think one of the things that everybody wants scale, like how big is this project, but you mentioned the geometry of these deposits, and I think it's worth mentioning about how, you know, strike length may not be all that wide, but its depth is just incredible. Uh, and obviously, Belieden's been doing that at Garpenberg Mining that profitably for 30 years now. But how do you take that message from Belieden and the geometry of these deposits and kind of put that in front of people more interested in exploration work, but are also worried about scale? Mm. Yeah, it's a tricky one because if you look at the parts of the Gartenberg system that come up to surface, they're not more spectacular than a large number of other prospects in Bergslagen. So the really big challenge is, which we're still not uh, really, really clever about, is how do you determine from the thousands of prospects that exist in Bergslagen which one of them is going to be a big Garpenberg at depth and um, it's tricky but uh, the other thing that you're mentioning is that the ore bodies because of the nature of the deformation here they are squeezed and compressed and stretched in the vertical dimension so they're sort of um, ovoid lenses to cigar shape and it means that for surface drilling it's a relatively small target that's been stretched down to very deep depths. But if you find something that's good, it's probably going to, it's got a good chance of continuing a couple of kilometers downwards, but the surface expression could be just 100, 200, 300 meters in strike length. Well, and that's a strength for, for somebody in exploration because you can potentially, first drill programs don't necessarily have to be that deep, right? So, but, you don't have to go deep until you actually find something closer to near surface. And then there's some, this continuity here. I mean, is that pretty typical for the Ber for the Slogans? Like a continu this this continuous mineralization with all these projects you're involved in? Because you keep on telling the same story. It seems like with different projects. Yeah. Um, yes and no. I think uh, the lenses are stretched so much that they are continuous vertically for. Uh, a greater distance than what is typical in other mining districts perhaps, but also the big challenge for explorationists uh, uh, is that there's very few ore bodies that have been discovered that don't come to surface. And Gartenberg also gives us a lesson there because the company, Bullion, has been working there so long and they've drilled so many holes around the mines, several blind lenses have been discovered that don't come to surface. Um, which would never be discovered if there wasn't uh, an operation drilling lots of holes there. So it means that in other parts of Bergslagen there must surely be large lenses that don't come to surface. Uh, and they are obviously exceptionally difficult to, to know they're there and to target with drill holes. So you need to be led into the area by something that you need to see at surface, something that you think is interesting enough to uh, make the decision that, okay, this is an interesting area, I should persevere and make a program that's going to last several years and not give up uh, the first year if we get some bad results. Yeah. Just You have to be take the risk, make a good decision that you think it's a great area and persevere for a while. And I think that's, that's the formula for success. Uh, you did mention something earlier today that kind of caught my attention. One of the many things that you have said in the last few days that's caught my attention, but you mentioned about drilling, especially with the use of the borehole electromagnetic uh, uh, surveys, is that, you know, 
people in exploration hate to miss their drill holes, but when you're using these EM surveys, it's actually beneficial because you get better data out of missed holes, which actually improves your exploration. Could you kind of walk us through that and why, you know, maybe you, <laughs> as long as you're not the CEO of a company that misses, but maybe you wanting the data, it's, it's beneficial. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a geophysicist, so I'm not uh, the expert that can explain all the fine details, but I did work many years in Boolean with, together with geophysicists, and what, what I learned from them is that uh, a drill hole that goes through quite a, a big sulphide body, um, the main conductor you see in the hole is dominated by the intersection you have in the hole, and as, you, as the probe that's measuring the EM comes toward and past that body, it's going to be measuring the effect of the, that body that's within the hole. Um, so you, you don't really see that much about the overall geometry of that body that's intersected by the hole. But if the hole misses the ore body and, um, or the mineralized body and drills, for example, 30, 40 meters to the side of it and doesn't intersect it, then the, the downhole EM will give you information about to which side of the... because you get a, it's a three-dimensional vector system that um, Bull Eden gets from their data. Um, you can interpret how f approximately how far the, the body might be from the drill hole, and you can in interpret the orientation of the edges of, of that body. So um, you actually get quite a lot of three-dimensional geometrical information that enables you to plan your next holes yeah. better than what you could have otherwise. Yeah. So. Uh, something else you said, uh, actually you said it yesterday, and I kind of chuckled a little bit because I think it it really kind of opened up a broader understanding of just you as an individual and your career. You said, it's nice to have the smell of sulfur back on my fingers. <laughs> and, you know, it made me think of you, like you really want, you're an explorationist at heart, and that's what your whole entire career has been focused on. But there seems to be this rejuvenation of exploration here in the Bergeslagen once again that maybe had a little bit of it seemed to have been void for maybe a decade or two but there's a renowned renewed interest back here and like does you know being back on the ground having these site visits does it feel like there's really good momentum behind mineral exploration mining in Sweden once again Yes, definitely. I think um, for me personally, there, there's two things. that are, I've become more experienced with time. It, that's what happens. You get a bit older and more experienced and uh, inevitably you creep away from the, the coal face, so to speak, into more management-like positions. And I, I had done that and, uh, for a number of years and then I just decided, oh, um, I can do the management thing, I guess, but I think there's other people that can do it equally as well or better. And my I mean, my skills, I guess what I'm best at is more looking at the rocks and interpreting the geology, and I just had the desire to, okay, I want to get back, get my fingers dirty again, and sulfur on the fingers, and feel the, the, uh, the ore. Um, and I think that's also, it's, I mean, exploration is great fun. It's, uh, it's a detective story, piecing together jig, the jigsaw puzzle to taking up the bits of information and putting them together and interpreting what the the whole uh, big system might might look like and plan your drill holes and oh, that's fun. I'm enjoying it. 
you know, uh, EM, EMX came in, and they might be the first or second largest mineral claims holder in the country now. Um, talk about really that relationship with EMX and being able to option off these projects to other junior companies and really that rejuvenation. Um, you know, it doesn't seem like it was all that competitive, but EMX really came in on their own and saw opportunity here because everybody else seemed to not be paying attention. Yeah. Well, I think the EMX people are extremely experienced, clever, and they have a great um, they have a great um, working uh, plan that they and they clearly saw the potential in Sweden uh, before most others. Um, there's major. There's a few major companies working in Sweden. There's been juniors before, but I think EMX came in with a whole new approach, and they could. I think they could see a little bit into the future that there was lots of potential here that would be available to junior companies that um, wasn't appreciated, and they could see that when they came in, there was lots of vacant ground. Good ground was vacant because. The few major companies, Bulleden, Lundin, LKAB, they had their hands full with lots of good ground, but there was still more that uh, they weren't taking up because they had their hands full. Uh, and so EMX, very aggressively, as, as they are, they came in and took up good projects. And they watched very closely license, uh, exploration licensing, and when good ground was dropped, they were on the doorstep uh, five minutes later with their application to take it up. So um, And... They've collected a lot of uh, good exploration ground and then they're very good at um, finding um, good junior outfits that um, are appropriate for the various um, bits of ground they've picked up. So they have lots of contacts and um, they put together proposals and market them with both junior and major companies and they're very successful at getting um, these other companies to fund the areas they found and their, their working scheme is they um, keep a royalty in the project and if the project succeeds they earn off the royalty and they're, they're doing well I think. Uh, final question, in your eyes success for exploration mining in Sweden, continued success, what does it look like? Is it a brand new mine getting permitted? Is it something before even a mine permit? You know, what what is success say like this industry in this country is con going to continue to progress yeah i think you're you're on to the what what is needed here i think um i think more and more uh people from outside of sweden are recognizing the potential the uh geological and mineralization potential of the mining districts in sweden um, is extremely high. There hasn't been a lot of modern work done on these old mining provinces. Um, so the potential's there and I think what will happen inevitably if one of these projects that's going on at the moment or a new project um, goes the full distance and, be, uh, and mining applications are put in and if they go through the environmental um, uh, commitment and they get accepted um, and the mine, oper uh, mine operation opens up, I think um, then there's going to be swarms of people uh, in more interested in Sweden. Yeah, I think if a mine opens up, then I think it will be a big rush. 
Um, I know I'm very appreciative of your decades of work here. It's been eye-opening to have you kind of walk us through everything and everything you've studied and shared. So it's a real pleasure to meet you and have you on the podcast. But uh, most of all, just thank you so much for your time and, and, and sharing your story. Yep, thanks very much. It's been a pleasure. You've been very keen, interested uh, people this week, so it's been great fun. Yeah, well, we've, it's it's fun to get back uh, get back on site because you always get a little bit more information from site than you do, say, just watching the screen and corporate presentations online. Yeah, thanks. Thanks very much. That's Rodney Allen, everybody, technical advisor to both Northern Crown and District Medals. All right, we're back here in Sater, Sweden, doing some site visits, and I'm now joined by one of my favorite geologists, a colleague and a friend. He's been on the podcast before, but I have never seen you, Eric Jensen, actually work, and this is your playground. I mean, here's a little context for everybody. We've run in three vehicles, and every time we stopped to a, at site, the first person out of any car was Eric. Not only was he out of the car, he was out banging his hammer on rocks before everybody else was out of vehicles. Uh, talk about being here, because like you, uh, yeah. you for for a decade or more, you have just been in love with the Bergslagen. Yeah, this whole region. You know, right now, we're amongst all the various partnerships and our own work. You know, we've got one of the biggest uh, mineral rights holdings in, in Fennoscandia, the Nordic countries. I think we're probably number one right now. But yeah, it's it, yeah, we do a lot of work here. We love the geology here, and there's a lot of potential, especially in this area. You know, Bergslagen. They've been mining for a thousand years. This is one of the the world's sort of gem. You know, mining regions. Uh, it's very famous in Europe. It's dominated mineral production in Europe for a, a millennium. So it's really special to be here. And, and we have some really good technical people on this particular tour, this group that know a lot about the rocks here. And it's very energizing to be around those people. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I think your your day title is Vice President of Global Exploration for EMX Royalty or something along yeah, those lines. General, <laughs> general, <laughs> general manager. Something along those lines. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's it's. Erica, like when you're on the ground here, it seems like you have the same excitement, whether it's your first time or your thousandth time on site. And can you just kind of talk to me about like where this energy and this passion comes from? Well, I think it's really built on the the history here, the cultural significance of this area. And as a geologist, you spend your whole career studying these types of systems. And there's some classic textbook examples here. So when you jump out of the vehicle, you crack open a rock and you can show people exactly what the type, what, what, the, what these systems should look like. It's almost the type locality in some ways for some of the things we're talking about. A lot of the old uh, global economic geology vernacular comes from the, the ancient, the, the, the German and Swedish mining tradition in this part of the world a lot of the terms like scarn for example that came from here that, yeah. that term was invented here and a lot of things you know one of my favorite geologists Valdemar Lindgren who uh, was one of the the finest geologists the economic geologists that that lived in the first part of the 20th century he's from Sweden so a lot of the global mining heritage comes back to this area and when you can see these geological features you just have an appreciation for the significance of it and you see a lot of metal it's exciting and we saw all the like the, the zones of, min- of, of mineralization that we looked at over the last couple of days just jumping out of a vehicle and seeing all these different geological features and being able to show people that that's yeah it's fun you know gold exploration is usually one of the most talked about 
things of, of junior mining yeah. and expert. Every, everybody wants the gold. You're not. Ne- it doesn't necessarily seem like you're after you know big new gold discoveries. You love the base metals, zincs, coppers, lead. These type of polymetallic discoveries. Yeah. You do a lot of similar work in Turkey yeah. as well. What is it about these types of systems that you find more attractive for you rather than you know those big beautiful precious metal deposits that being said you know we have a, a, some significant gold exploration projects in the nordics especially in the gold line of sweden and now we're working over in finland and we have uh, quite a number of gold products in norway but I, I do have a special place in my heart for the polymetallics because you have the, the multiplicity of the different element uh, elements that you're you have exposure to so when you're in a system with lead zinc silver copper and there's a bit of gold in the core you know you, and that can weather uh, economic storms any, in the, any of the individual elements. So if, if, if the zinc market is off for some reason, you're buoyed up by the other elements. Maybe silver is strong, or you have lead, you have copper. And uh, what I also like with these systems too is that the, the, the particular ones that we're studying here are zoned. And so like today, we, what we saw in the field, a, a core of copper gold mineralization that zones outward to lead, zinc, silver. But yeah, it's the combination of, of, of metals and the different groupings that give you a lot of uh, different economic exposure and good leverage. Uh, I do want to ask you about EMX in general, and not necessarily, I know there's a financing going on, can't necessarily talk about that right now, but the royalty trend lately, there's been a number of deals on the royalty side of the business within the industry here, and EMX is one of them, obviously, acquiring two pretty big royalties uh, in the last couple months, but EMX wasn't the only one doing deals here. You know, talk, like, is there this competitive new surgence of competitive trends within the royalty space in this sector now oh definitely and yeah we're seeing a lot of competition in this space and it's been that way for for several years but one of the inherent advantages that we have is the organic approach that we take you know we we are working in regions like sweden we're working in regions like turkey we've been in turkey for 18 years and uh, we have a really keen sense of where value is created in those environments and so we have an ear to the railroad track we know the companies we know the people we know the assets and we have a head start in terms of understanding and recognizing value in those areas and so this the one of the two transactions you're referring to the uh, transaction with SSR some of the flagship assets were in Turkey while we, we have a good track record of operating there we know the players we know the systems and we're very comfortable with making those kinds of investments more so than probably other companies that don't work in Turkey so that gives us an advantage that's how we leveraged uh, the royalty in Timok you know, we, uh, we in, in uh, the, the, the board district of Serbia uh, we had worked there for years EMX knew the, the players. We knew that where, the, where, where royalties were held when the Chikuro Pecky discovery was made. So it's that ear to the railroad track, un, keen understanding of the local environments in which we work that do give us an advantage in some circumstances. Yeah. Okay, we've seen Norton Crown. You're on the board of Norton Crown. We've seen District Metals. Uh, I think you're technical advisor here or something. No, but we, yeah, we communicate quite a bit. We're right. a big we're a big shareholder and a royalty holder. Right. So yeah, we're very, yeah we have a lot of a lot of discussion. Yeah. So how many other opportunities are maybe pres- presently on the table, or how many projects? are available in the EMX portfolio here in Sweden? Yeah, well, we're, we're always um, looking for new things, obviously. We built quite a number of partnerships. I think we have 10 industry partners here right now, but we're always out there exploring for the next uh, the next new project, the next great project to come along. We have a good one that we're in the process of, of acquiring right now. I won't talk about yet, but we have another a, a really good one that we're working on that'll be an, an addition to our portfolio. But over in Norway, we're excited. We have, we have tied up entire VMS districts 
in Norway, a few of which are available for partnership that have a lot of the characteristics of the things that we looked at over the last couple of days here in Bergslagen. So a good tour with two of our existing partners. We looked at a lot of high quality exploration targets over the last two days here, and there's more to come. That's our job, that's what we do. We're here to, to create opportunities for the industry, and, these are, and we looked at a number of examples of how we do that over the past few days. Uh, there's a great metaphor, you, we've all heard it, leave no stone left unturned, but uh, ladies and gentlemen, Eric Jensen uses it figuratively and I've seen it, I can I can attest to it. Eric, uh, pleasure to see you here. Yeah. Uh, I've put my own money here because of conversations and with you yeah. and uh, you know I just you know thanks for your guidance and always being open and accepting those stupid <laughs> questions and phone calls I give you every once in a while but it really does mean a lot to me plus your wisdom and knowledge and information is also valuable for the for the listeners of this podcast well also just it's nice being here with you Trevor because we get to establish context you can finally see these things in their actual environment you can see the zones of mineralization and you can see why we're excited about some of these things we looked at four really interesting exploration plays in the last uh, two days and there's you know more to come all right eric till next time yeah thanks thank you so much thanks cheers the information presented should not be considered investment advice mining stock daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein please do your own research or speak with a licensed financial representative before making any investment decision